It's time debit card users are also included in the cashback fun. Now everyone can get cashback on everyday purchases with Discover Cashback Debit. That includes no fees, period. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank member FDIC. Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. Each piece is carefully vetted and verified by experts. You can buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Hermes, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. That's Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. So Bad It's Good with Ryan Bailey, the podcast where we cover all the pop culture we love to hate, from the classic reality TV moments of the past and present to the latest Daily Mail headlines and everything in between. We'll dive into all the infamous and notorious messes you can't stop watching. I'm looking at you, Jax Taylor. I'm your host, Ryan Bailey. Let me see you bounce that, bounce that, bounce that. Let me see you bounce that, bounce that, bounce that. Let me see you bounce that, bounce that, bounce that. Let me see you bounce that, bounce that, bounce that. Let me see you bounce that, bounce that, bounce that.
coming down in a different color. Whip, whip, whip. Pick the perfect. You might want to take a flick, 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 flick. Call up Jazzy. Tell him pop the bottles because we got another hit, hit, hit. Want to go platinum? I'm who you should get, 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 get. Ludacris on the jacket. Back trick switch on the lack of flex and steel. Same price, different time. Hot song jumped on because he ever got sex appeal. And I keep the meanest, cleanest, baddest. Spinning on stainless wheels. You care less about your genius. I bump your status. I keep the stainless steel. Welcome to your Tuesday episode. This is So Bad It's Good with Ryan Bailey. This is Ryan. How the heck are we doing? Uh, I'm feeling pretty good today. Had a good day, if anybody is wondering. So I hope you are having a good day as well, or hopefully you had a good Monday. Uh, today we have a great guest. We have Lauren Clayton back with us. Uh, you know, she has just been so wonderful the past two times she's been on, and we got to talk about so many great things. Of course, Vanderpump Rules, which we've talked about the last two times, but we also delve into Jonah Hill. We talk uh, Ariana Grande. We talk Kardashians. We talk Kanye. We talk relationships, toxic relationships. We get in there. We talk about grief. We talk about so many things, and I had such a, a fabulous conversation with her, so I hope you really enjoy it as much as I did. Uh, a couple of things up top. Um, if you like this show, please consider leaving it a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, that's always great. If you like it a little more, go to patreon.com forward slash so bad it's good. Uh, I took my Roni notes. I'm going to be doing a Roni recap right after this. So this should be the Roni recap should be on the Patreon for episode four by tomorrow. So that's there. The, the last three episodes are up there if you want it. Plus, we had a conversation with uh, one of our baddies about their Sir Boots on the Ground night and uh, also did a 40-minute just solo pod with some thoughts on Friday. So tons of other new stuff over there on the Patreon, if that's your jam. I also want to make a correction from yesterday's episode. Now, uh, th th to me, is horrifying is I was in conversation with uh, Blocked by Jax, which we had a fabulous conversation about Bravo, all things Bravo, on Monday's episode. And uh, she misidentified uh, uh, a cast member, or not a cast member, but uh, she had said Kyle Chan was the one that had called Katie overweight in an episode, and that was actually Kevin Lee. Now, I have edited that on the podcast, but I want to make you guys aware that I am aware. She is aware. I reached out to her, and we were both horrified about that. Um, if you did hear it, I didn't. I was like, oh, really? I, I wasn't. I couldn't remember that scene. And then I was shown the scene later, and I was like, oh, my God, of course. I forgot all about Kevin, the she, 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 you know, that the guy that you know who's iconic but i was sitting there i was sitting there talking to her and i i remember one of my thoughts of like look at me i can't even remember like certain scenes from a show like i was like that sounds familiar but i i you know just want to let you know we are aware very sorry about that that's that's horrible kyle chan did not do that so i wanted to make that very clear at the top um, but when I had edited it, I, I slept for like 11 hours yesterday, which was so needed, uh, and put me in a whole different headspace. 
that I woke up to so many messages, which is awesome because you guys are listening, but also awesome that you can reach out and let me know if, if, if there is a, a mistake or something that is p- potentially damaging. That's not ever my intent. Um, and by the time I was into edit, it looked like uh, you could see that there were already like uh, close to 10,000 people had downloaded it. And I was like, oh my God, you know, I don't really see the numbers. So when I went back in there to to correct it, I was like, oh, geez, Louise, which is awesome because I, I stay away from like the numbers and all that stuff. But I was I was blown away. I was like, oh my God. So I wanted to make that correction up top. Thank you to everybody who reached out to me. Uh, very, you know, thank you. I had text messages, I had DMs and, and that's really uh, comforting in a lot of ways. Uh, but I just wanted to make that clear up top. Uh, so very sorry about that. Um, listen, I watched below deck down under, I caught up on like, they, they're now airing you guys two episodes every Monday. And they started doing that with below deck sailing yacht this past season too. And I love below deck, but like, it kind of bums me out because part of me is like, Oh, do they not believe in these below deck shows? And they're trying to just burn them all out. Like what happened to one a week and just extend the season. Like I'm always for more, 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 but I was like, why are you airing two every, every Monday now? Um, so, and listen, the ratings for the show are really good. You know, I always remind people that below deck, it might not get the frenzy online of people making memes or, or twittering or Xing about it or threading about it, but it gets such solid ratings. I mean, I believe below deck down under last week got stronger ratings or right in the same pocket that OC Atlanta, I mean, better than New York. I mean, it's a really solid performer week in, week out, but it doesn't get that, like, you know, we don't talk about it as much, which, which kind of, I don't know. It's weird. Like I was talking in block by Jacks and I said, I always like having it on it's meditative, but when I start paying attention to it closely, it's really good. Aisha's uh, the chief stew this season. Captain Jason is a strong captain, but tonight's episodes I wanted to mention up top, and if you haven't seen them, if you're planning on watching them, maybe don't listen to this little three minutes or four minutes, because I wanted to talk about it because I think this was a clear example of production and Asia and Captain Jason handling something so correctly, um, is that basically the they all went out and partied like they do. You know, they'll usually have like charter guests. And then they'll go cut loose. And we've seen this on every below deck iteration franchise. They just get hammered. These boat guys, like it hurts my liver watching them. It's they just the guys and the girls get hammered. Um, but then uh, they got back to to the boat and uh, there's a lot of just really bad behavior. But there was one person in particular who is uh, who is the bosun on this, uh, Luke Jones, uh, who seemed to be wasted, but then there was a new uh, a new stew on there who had just started a couple of episodes ago. And she was hammered, you guys. She was so hammered. And and I mean, we know it watching, they knew it in the moment. And uh, and he uh, you know, she was put to bed because she just was wasted. And he came into her room naked and got into bed with her while she was asleep. And I don't think even me saying that really, um, 
even begins to explain how horrifying that was to even watch, let alone to experience it. And Aisha was already keeping an eye on this guy because she already had bad vibes. But then the lights went out on the boat and she had to go like fix something and then had to leave her alone. And the guy snuck in and naked. And this is what I thought was amazing was that production immediately jumped in. Like, cause you know, they didn't, they were just like, Hey, Hey man. And he was like, no, it's all good. It's all good. And then tried to shut the door on production. And they were like, no, no, you can't do that. Like production got involved. And then they had to wake up Captain Jason. Captain Jason was like, listen, you're not staying here tonight. You're going to go get a hotel room or they got him a hotel room. And then he came back the next morning and Captain Jason rightfully so terminated his contract. And uh, it, it was just horrifying. But then on top of that, one of the stews, this girl, Laura, it, it just boggled my mind. First off, Laura was getting hammered and trying to sleep with one of the deckhands and making him super uncomfortable. And he was trying to be nice. He was trying to be like, no, can't we just be friends? And she kept pushing it, pushing it like, uh, let me rub your back. Let me, I mean, and, and it, it, it was just, it was so awkward to watch. And you could tell he was trying to like be a nice guy about it. Um, but he was also saying, no, I don't, I'm not interested in you in that way at all. And she kept pushing, kept pushing, which was its own problem. And by the way, the, the drunk guy that was naked, that they got naked in the bed with, he, he, she was trying to be with him the episode before. And then, uh, you know, he eventually turned her down after like making out with her and hooking up with her in a shower. I'm telling you guys, you're probably like, don't watch below deck down under. You're like, Oh God, I got to watch now you guys. It's a really solid show but it is messed up and like super trigger warnings if you watch these episodes uh for for real and, and these kind of stories especially with you know especially women you know I, I mean it happens to too many women out there and i'm i'm so thankful that that production jumped in immediately uh but anyways the the laura then they, they, you know, get the other guy, they terminate him. He has to pack his bags and go that he doesn't get to say goodbye to everybody. And then Laura's cleaning the boat with the other girl that he did this to in the bed. And she's like, uh, it's so, it's, it's so, it's sad for him. It's sad. You know, like we didn't get to say goodbye. It's wrong. And she's like, you know, and, and the girl explains to him what he did. And she goes, oh man, I, I would have, man, I, he should have came and jumped into my bed. I would have welcomed it or something of that nature. And it was like, girl, what are you talking about? And to the girl. And then later came up to the girl again and said, like, she didn't agree with it. You know, it's very sad that he got let go and wrongfully terminated. And you don't do that to a victim that was passed out. And then of course this girl was like, was I too drunk? What like it was starting to question her own behavior, which no, you know, like if, if you are asleep, if you, you know, like your body autonomy is yours. If you close a door, that's a boundary. Well, I'm really starting this episode way too strong, but I just finished watching it and it really frustrated me. But um, so then she kept saying this stuff, and then Aisha brought that up to Captain Jason, and Captain Jason was livid of that. Of like, listen, I'm trying to start a team here. This is a team. We can't have this. He had just had this really wonderful conversation about setting boundaries, about saying, like, listen, this is our safe space here. You know, you don't do stuff like this. You know, like boundaries are set. You have to respect that, period. 
And he had to end up letting Laura go too. And it was, it, I mean, you watched her, like, it was like the, when she was drunk, it's like weird. But then when she was ex- like talking her own thoughts while she was sober, it was just as weird. And I was like, man, that is wild, but you gotta go. You gotta go and made the right call. But then that got me thinking about Bethany Frankel and her reality reckoning, which of course is for, I think, better pay, residuals, things like that. But also that opening letter that uh, the lawyers uh, put out on Friday, it also talks about the psychological abuse uh, that Bravo, you know, know, puts these people in bad positions. Humanity is humanity. People are going to be this way, regardless of cameras. Of course, sometimes with cameras, people turn on behavior that might not be there otherwise. But I will say, watching the show tonight and watching how quick production jumped in, it made me really feel good. Like, it was like, listen, they're not just like, hey, sorry, you know, like what happens behind closed doors? We don't like they weren't allowed. Like, it felt nice that it was like they were very aware of what was happening. There was responsibility in the production of this show. And that's something that that comes to mind when I read more and hear more of Bethany talking very close to a camera threatening she deleted a tiktok today you guys i'm gonna i keep promising the whole episode on her but she keeps adding more fuel to that fire so it's gonna take a second for me to uh to get to it now listen i've always said from the very beginning if you listen to this show there's a conversation to be had about fair working conditions for any industry so it's not like reality shows aren't deserving of that conversation my thought is just always is bethany the person for this because i feel like there is so much baggage with bethany and listen if this is the attention you're wanting you know if this is going to shine this light i'm really interested to hear specifics of this argument i'm really you know i'm very interested in this but all reality shows usually and the ones that especially work are centered around drama like we love to see these women get along, right? But a lot of the times we come and we stay for the drama, you know, but we've also got to be assured that, you know, when violence breaks out, like you, if you think about, we talked about this on Monday, the slap that happened on Vanderpump Rules between Dodie and Stasi, that stuff is a fireable offense now. But back then it was different. You know, times change. Our behaviors change. What we're allowed you know, what is acceptable on these shows have changed, you know, across all reality shows, not just Bravo. Think about real world. Think about Survivor even. Think about these things, you know, it doesn't, you know, reality shows don't begin and end with Bravo, even though some of us think they do. And I love Bravo, but uh, there are certain rules and rules change every year. You know, safety seems to be a main concern. The other thing that I think about though, when it comes to this is production companies, So Bravo, they run these shows, uh, you know, but there are production companies like Shed Media, uh, Evolution, uh, who does Vanderpump Rules, Beverly Hills and Orange County. There are all these production companies and the production companies handle the physical production of the show. So Bravo's not out there, you know, writing up the call sheets and call sheets or, you know, who's going to be in the scene that day, what crew works on it. The production company does that. The production company are the people that that come up with who's going to be on the cast, the storylines, the editing and things like that. Now, Bravo does have a hand in that. They do see edits of these, and I'm sure they give notes, but these production companies. So what I would imagine also with Bethany's 
Bethany Frankel's reality show Reckoning is these production companies will be looked into. You know, is that uh, are there fair practices going on? Um, so it's very interesting. I don't know. I just sometimes with Bethany, like I've said from the beginning, even before the reality show Reckoning, I've questioned a lot of her behavior online because it just seems like it's trying to fill this hole that's never going to be filled. A lot of us do that. I mean, in some ways, I'm doing this right now with this podcast, but it's interesting with Bethany because there is so much behavior exhibited on screen. Now, I even, uh, if you guys have listened from the beginning, remember when she did the big shot with Bethany on HBO Max, which was supposed to be her version of The Apprentice, uh, and uh, Mark Burnett, who produced Survivor, produced that show. And I had DJ Nicole Rose on the show, who I love, who I still follow on Instagram. And, you know, Bethany was kind of a mess on that show. It was highly unwatchable at times. Um, and uh, and I went into that really thinking that was going to be a hit. And then I quickly learned after the third episode that it was not going to be hit a hit. But I also... I think it opens a larger conversation and how she handled herself during that show. You know, the reality show contracts she's written up for other people that she's wanted to produce their stories. Bethany has been a producer in her own right. And I don't think, uh, and we will find out, you know, that, that her, um, her contracts and her behavior is very similar to the behavior that she says she is fighting against. Um, but like I said, any conversation is good. But also with Bethany, I always feel like there's a scorched earth thing is that she's not really trying to fix things. She's trying to fuck shit up, trying to fuck shit up. And I think a lot of people and, and maybe even some of you listening are like, well, she's great and she has the money to do it. I would be very curious about any money that she puts forward. I would be very curious. I just, uh, we talk about that concept of the reliable narrator on this show. And I just don't feel seeing Bethany's past behavior that she is the reliable narrator to lead this charge. I think she's a strong voice, but I do think that is going to come into play at some point. Um, and, and we've seen Bethany, even I remember that appearance on watch what happens live, Oh gosh, was it last year? Was it when she started her her Housewives podcast after she had made fun of podcasts about Housewives and made fun of the Housewives? All of a sudden, Housewives started getting big again. She wanted to do a podcast, and it was like, wait a sec, we've all been doing that out here, you know. All of a sudden, that's getting a little attention. So you want that? That was the one she was on with Jeff Lewis, and she said she got attacked. And I think that's such an interesting playbook. You'll see successful people do that a lot is when anybody says anything uh, negative or questioning or even in a sense of humor, they say they're being attacked. But Bethany has all of the exhibited all of that behavior. She makes fun. She attacks people herself. I mean, like, listen, talk to Meghan Markle and Harry, Prince Harry. She's done all of these things. But when it's done to her, it seems to be a different set of rules. Like it stings a little bit more. She's very sensitive, as a lot of us are. Um, in fact, I think Jeff Lewis and Heather McDonald are going to be on Watch What Happens Live tonight, which this will be the first time I believe Heather McDonald's on there. This is huge because I know I, I mean, I even talked to Heather McDonald uh, at one point about not being on Watch What Happens Live. So that's a big episode. And I'm so curious what she says about Bethany. And I'm curious if Jeff Lewis brings it up because I don't think Andy will make any statements for a little bit. 
Um, and also, I don't know if he would be allowed to because I, Bravo is owned by NBC Universal. And also, if you are getting lawyers involved, you are supposed to keep a lid on that. So it's not ignoring it necessarily. It might have to be legally the way that they have to go. So don't expect it. We might get it. We might get some sort of statement, but I do question if there are a couple drinks flowing, if Jeff Lewis or Heather McDonald says anything. Now, I love Jeff Lewis. I have not listened to his show uh, lately, not uh, for any reason. I just don't, didn't have the time. But has he talked about it on his on his serious show? I would be very curious what the marching orders are for people who work for Bravo talking about this. But... Here's the thing. Like you said, okay, she just wants attention. She wants people talking about it. Well, we are. We're talking about it. So if that's a good thing, I hope that's a good thing. I'm very curious to, to hear more. And we do talk a little bit about that topic in this conversation as well. So that's how I wanted to start today's episode. Uh, we're going to get right into it because it's like an hour and 15 minute conversation. By the way, I did read that meme the other day. Of It was like 45 minutes into a podcast and they're like, Okay, let's get right into it today after 45. And that's so be. I'll be like, okay, we're getting right into it. And then I have so many things that I want to talk to you guys about. I get so excited about this stuff. I still need to talk to you about Lizzo. Oh, you guys, tonight, the first two episodes of the third season of Only Murders in the Building, the Steve Martin, Martin Short, Selena Gomez show premiered on Hulu, also starring Meryl Streep, Paul Rudd, Star Studded. I, I would I I wish I was watching that right now, but I'm talking to you guys, so it's a win-win. <laughs> um, geez, uh, listen, Taylor Swift is in LA right now. I'm missing all of these, but I'm I'm going to lunch today with uh, Sammy Sage, one of the uh, heads of Betches, because she is in uh, town to see Taylor. So we're gonna go to lunch, and I'm gonna see if I can convince her to like carry a big suitcase into Taylor Swift and I, and she could just like roll me in, like just sneak me into, or like, maybe I could commit, like, maybe we'll do one of those like kids when they're, when they're, you know, that, that old picture of like three kids and it's like a big trench coat and I could just be the bottom half. And then Sammy's like, uh, she's on my shoulders. And then we sneak it. She sneaks me in that way. Oh, a guy can dream, right? A guy can dream. Anyways. I love you guys. Lauren Clayton, I give you her whole bio up top, but all of her information will be in the show notes as well. And we got another episode on Wednesday. We got the Orange County recap, which I took notes on today. <sighs> Funny, but I'll do some pop culture stories on then, uh, then as well. But uh, I hope you're enjoying the show. I know it's been wild lately. I know I've been going through a lot of emotions, but thanks for being with me every day. When I get to see your messages, they're always really kind and positive. And uh, I'm really excited for the future. Um, so yeah. Let us also know what you want to hear more of, what you want to, what, what you, you know, if, there, if there's ideas and stuff, always email them to us at so bad it's good with Ryan Bailey at gmail.com. Uh, Maritza Lopez and Sandra Fryer, they work with me. So if you have their information as well, reach out to them and bug, you know, like bug them, tell them what you want to hear. So that's it, you guys. Here she is. Without further ado, Lauren Clayton. You guys, I am so excited to have our next guest back on. She's been on two times before in the heat of Scandaval and really gave me a language and helped me understand the behavior that we were seeing on screen a little bit more because what's so great about reality television, folks, is that there's an enjoyment level, sure. It's like watching a car crash, but we can look at overall patterns, themes, behavior, and, and relate that back to ourselves and what we're seeing because we've all been in certain situations. Maybe you've gotten cheated on. Maybe you were the cheater. Maybe you've been emotionally abusive to somebody. 
maybe you've been abused yourself. And I think these reality television at their best can show us things to do and not to do. So our next guest is an ex-forensic therapist where she did personality profiling, psych assessments for ex-cons recently released from federal prisons. Her interest in neuroscience, neuroplasticity, and epigenetics led her to establishing her private practice in 2010, where she coaches executives and celebrities as an executive leadership coach and integrative health coach. You can find out everything about her at laurenclaytonhealth.com. I'll put that all in the show notes. And her Lauren Clayton Total Health. I've already blown it, guys. Lauren Clayton Total Health um, dot com and her Instagram, which is awesome, is Mental Health Hacker. Um, so without further ado, welcome back to the show, Lauren Clayton. Lauren, thank you so much for being back. Nice to see you, Ryan. Thank you for having me back. Um, I always really love our conversations and I always leave um, learning so much more than I knew before we talked. But I do also want to say up top, is that we can't diagnose anybody. I especially can't. I don't have training. And I've I've sometimes learned the hard way over the years, you know, just because I have an opinion does not make it fact. Just because I think somebody has narcissistic tendencies does not, in fact, make them a narcissist. And Lauren, just to back up what, what we've said before, um, what is the proper way to have somebody diagnose somebody else? What's What's the actual way that you can get a diagnosis? So all of the personality disorders, they're on a spectrum. And there's a thing called the the DSM, which is a huge book of all the different, you know, mental disorders, personality disorders, and they're clustered into certain that the people that psychologists have just noticed, it's like, okay, these people that we're, we're calling narcissists tend to display these things. It's all very common. These borderline people tend to do this. And borderline and narcissists tend to like each other or covert and overt narcissists tend to like each other. But that's how it gets diagnosed. It's from the the DSM um, actual definition of it. But it's really easy to look up. And um, there's a lot of wonderful literature and, you know, videos on YouTube where you could learn or even, you know, on Instagram. It's it's really accessible now to, to, to learn about instead of people that are victims <laughs> of narcissistic abuse being so confused about what's going on. So, um, yeah. Does the DSM get updated like on a daily basis? Cause I feel like we find new things out about personalities all the time. Absolutely. Not on a daily basis, but pretty regularly, I think yearly. Wow. Um, that just must be wild to have to keep up on of what profession, like, you know, what is out there? What are we, you know, doing new terms for like new behavioral patterns? And I would imagine even thinking about reality shows, we have like reality. I was thinking about, have we had any professional diagnoses on reality show stars themselves of like what being on TV does to somebody's personality? Because I feel like sometimes it brings out the worst in these people. I think it's an amplifier, right? Between what you already have. And then I think there is a certain amount of playing to the camera too, but yeah. what, are you, what, what parts of your personality are you going to access and bring out? And also sometimes um, reality TV stars are put under a certain, you know, kind of pressure or whatever. So if you have a narcissistic personality disorder or borderline, like you're going to use certain tools or certain parts of your personality you're going to use when under stress that aren't pretty, you know what I mean? But there, a lot of people find them entertaining and a lot of people relate to it. So 
I mean, but then you're, you're rewarded for it too. In some ways you make a living off it. So wouldn't that be reinforcing, um, being rewarded for bad behavior in a way? I mean, uh, I'm just thinking of a million examples. But <laughs> yeah, it, let's, let's use Jax Taylor. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, well, we could play the villain. Like, yeah, it is It is reinforcing it. And is it creating more of like the malignant behavior patterns? And yeah, if you're being rewarded for it, it Lord, is. I'm, t- I'm telling you, this is a best-selling book. We've g- we got to write a book on reality stars and what this does to their brains. I mean, honestly. Well, I mean, you're getting all these dopamine releases from a behavior that's kind of antisocial. So, yeah, that could be problematic. And then for us, we form these parasocial relationships, you know, as the viewer. And we saw with Scandival, it took on a whole new fervor because we were it. We felt like we were in that driver's seat with them and we were yelling and screaming because we saw all this stuff and emotionally felt that. And I felt like the audience went through this roller coaster of emotions where all of a sudden the season ended and we're like, wait, there's not more. We need more. And we still had this same kind of uh, fervor for any kind of information. And that's why I think we see every piece of season 11, which they're filming now being filmed and shown to us in like Instagram clips. Oh my gosh. There's so much. Well, first of all, the pain of a breakup of being cheated on, we've all been there and it's like inconsolable sometimes. Right. And so to watch that. um, And then I was talking, I think on the first time I was on your show, I was talking about like the psychological phenomenon that happens where it's actually kind of comforting as an audience member to watch it and you get these like serotonin oxytocin releases and um and you do really feel connected to them you know because because it's something you've been through are you in a way kind of over identified with whoever is your favorite or not right and so there's that and then also you're watching people and how they deal with it and it does something like it gets you hooked and it's kind of like we needed more. <laughs> it's, it's like very similar to um, like a, a drug addiction. Yes. It's like, you I got need any more that. of that. I need that scandal. I need that scandal. Like it is true. And um, it, you know, because then like, you know, we see this and I was talking to you before we started here with um, uh, Raquel, Rachel, we left off really, you know, by the way, we're going to talk about a lot of pop culture and things like this, but I just wanted to start with Scandable. We left off with Raquel, Rachel, like potentially checking herself into a mental health facility where she has stayed for many months. I believe she got out a couple of weeks ago and there's a big question if she's going to film or not. A lot of people are saying no, but we see Tom Sandoval out here. You know, he didn't go to a mental health facility. He went on tour with his band and we see him puffed up chest. He seems very prideful. You would not be able to tell. Uh, I would think logically, I would. I, I just thought like, well, when I've really messed up, I hang my head down. I don't want to be seen. I get really like, and I've, I've messed up. And like, I get really, I don't want to be out there. What is this? Why do men, like, it seems like, okay, whatever you think about Rachel, she actually potentially did something for her mental health. If that is to be believed, but Tom has potentially done no work on himself. Why is it maybe that women tend to do, I mean, tr- tend to try to work on themselves more than men. Cause it just seems like Tom is, it's not even a speed bump. Well, I think that there's a couple of things there. Let's just take ostensibly how it looks. So because I believe because Raquel's a woman, Rachel, whatever she's going by now is a woman. She's like deemed a slut and all of these things and like evil. And like, I mean, she was friends with, I don't know. 
I yeah, just, there are things that are bad that she, obviously, yes. Yeah. And so I, I think that people are going to maybe look down on her more and then all, all of those, like that aspect of it. And then to answer your question, I do think that women, I think process and grieve at an accelerated rate compared to men typically because they get to talk to their girlfriends and it's okay to be really open about your feelings and emotion from a young age. And, you know, we're socialized that way. And so you can, you know, psychologically, you know, and emotionally advance and heal a lot more now with this specific situation, because, you know, he's a narcissist. He is a, I believe that he, <laughs> he exhibits a lot of narcissistic tendencies. And this is one of them. It's like, okay, well, instead of dealing and healing and doing that stuff, no, I'm just going to go out because they need so much um, adulation and praise and all this. So, so he's going out to get it. And he's like, okay, I need someone to tell me I'm not bad. And so I need to go out on stage and have people yell my name and give me all types of, because that's what they need when they never admit that they have done anything wrong. In this case, I thought, you know, a lot of his stuff was fake and like trying to be, you know, contrite about, I thought it was very staged. We talked about that last time, but, um, and just trying to garner sympathy. And that's exactly what they do. It's creepy. They're like, oh. and then if they know it's not working, they just they just shut it off. And they but they just don't want to take responsibility for it. So now this is his next step. And that is like, okay, let's pretend like nothing happened. And um, I need some attention and praise. So that's what he's doing. Do we sometimes as a society, though, I mean, I find it interesting that like, we don't want to ever be wrong. We don't I mean, obviously, that's a natural thing to not want to do something bad or be relegated to somebody that is a bad person. But I would argue that potentially like, isn't that the greatest learning experience ever is that if we're able to like, go, yeah, that was a bad thing, but I'm not a bad person and I want to work towards getting better. Why don't we sometimes have, is it, is it, is it lack of bravery? Like what, what stops us? Is it self-preservation? Well, it takes a lot of courage. It's not easy to look at these things, but it's worth it because you can either have that pattern and keep repeating it. And then it usually gets worse and worse and worse to really hit rock bottom. Or you could look at a situation and say, okay, well, I'm not proud of myself. And we all have a past. We all have things that we're not proud of. And, but yeah, it takes a little bit of humility and courage to be like, okay, I want to change. And especially, especially when you haven't had a situation where you bottomed out. Like for me, what happened to Raquel, that's like a complete bottom. Like I, I would, I, I would just, yes, I would go to a mental health facility and like for a year and just really, that's personally what I would do. But if like, she's probably had that behavior pattern for a while, right? It didn't just, I don't think this is just like magically like a oops situation. She's probably you know, had, that's typically what happens. So yeah, it takes courage to do that. And I always, always am recommending to people like do it before it gets really bad. And then like, do, do the work on yourself, like do the shadow work, do coaching or therapy or whatever it is, but yeah, it does take courage. And this is why, um, people don't do it. This is why people jump into a new relationship or just, um, you know, start drinking or some addictive or compulsive behavior, because it's like, I want to numb out for as long as I can, instead yes. of rarely being in pain, just a little bit of pain. Um, because it, it, and like some people really do, especially narcissists, they, they have a very like, I don't want to say immunity, but it's really hard for them 
to feel any type of shame or guilt. There's something called narcissistic annihilation, and they will literally feel like they're being annihilated. And so it's really difficult for them. Now you can still work on it because narcissism is not like genetic or anything. So you can work on it if you're a narcissist or borderline, but there's just no willingness to. And then there's so many people willing to enable that type of behavior and that type yes. of personality. Well, I mean, I always think I love how we go through life and I always notice, especially with reality shows, if we keep using this as an example, is that half the people realize like, come on, he's totally lying. And half the people buy everything that they're seeing and going, no, I believe like they say, like, well, everybody's telling the truth on these shows. Like there really is a good segment of the audience that believes everything that they are told. And then there's a good half of the audience that watches these through these skeptical lenses because they've experienced these people in real life. And I always find that fascinating that most people still don't expect to be lied to. So they don't know if somebody's lying to them. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I, and I think, and I think people want to believe that everything is real, you know? Yeah, what, Cause that, and that's a beautiful thought, right? Like we, we do want to believe sometimes. That, I mean, it's a horrible thought to believe that the wool is being pulled over our eyes at any time that takes a lot of acceptance. And also there's like a fall from grace that I feel like we feel when we realize that there's more to, to things than just what we see uh, in the, in the immediate moment. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, people are complex and layered and not, so, me, not me lauren i am not complex i am very very standard <laughs> i'm joking most people <laughs> and so it's so yeah you could you could no one's all good or all bad right yeah even yeah if, yeah and even though um if you're more on the borderline side of things you think in black and white terms and so people are good or bad but no one is all good or all bad you know we all have our shadows and Hopefully we're all working on ourselves in a you know genuine way to evolve and get better. But but we know that's not the case. Um, or at least I believe we are not all working on ourselves. And uh okay, so uh last thing about Vanderpump, if they came to you right now, Lauren, and said, Hey, we are looking for a coach right now to film to work with Tom Sandoval. First off, would you even dare do that? And second off, where would you start with somebody like Tom? Well, with anyone, I always say, I'm here if you're willing. You know, the willingness has to be there. Um, with narcissists that I've worked with, they're either, you know, more high functioning or they do the, my favorite is the spiritual narcissist. Yes. Yes. I, let's, let's, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> they're the worst. But, um, so there's usually not a willingness, but, um, or it's, it's for show. It's to gain some type of like from like I ha I've had narcissists like try to like make me like them. And I'm like, I'm here to help you. I'm not here to, you know, try like you're trying to impress me or whatever you're trying to do. That's not. So it's really hard for them to actually do the work is what I'm saying. They'll do it to please or placate a situation or for it to look good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm but anyway, I'm always open to helping people that are willing to actually do the work because then nothing gets done. And then what would I do with Tom? Yeah, how do you start with some? How do you start with a client? How do you how would you even start? And especially since you've seen the show, how would you even begin to start? Well, um, with someone like that, and typically I'm like, okay, well, why are you here? Why do you why do you think you're here? How have you disappointed people? which is a hard one for them. Have you disappointed yourself? What do you do to cope with that? You know, That's, and yeah. so, 
Yeah. Well, and now I want this to happen. Now I really want the answers to these questions. I want, I want, because these are the questions that I think a lot of us want to know. Like I would love, like, I'm willing to like, I want to know what he thinks, but I would want to know honestly. And we could just not guarantee that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, but you can, there's a way to dissect. Cause then they, they start presenting and showing and kind of um, performing in a way. Typically, especially if a camera was there, I think they'd be really like either like, oh, my God, I've healed. And it's really and it's like, well, shit, no, you didn't <laughs> Get real because what you did was go on tour. What's that about? You know, yeah. so there's a way to break that down. I mean, I would get out like forensic psychologist, Lauren, like when I was working with. The, the <laughs> and, I, and I still do that in my practice sometimes, too. I'm like, OK, listen, like your bullshit isn't working. I get kind of real. And so sometimes I have to, it depends. Like everyone is so different. Like you're, I feel like you're doing a dance with someone when you're talking to them. So when you like, so, and it's another reason I don't practice traditional therapy because it's like this, do this like protocol. It's like, no, everyone is so different. You have to be present and like with someone and in their energy and understand to like navigate and like which question, but um, not having, you know, sat with him before that's kind of like, what comes to mind first. Has that always been the attraction for you for this type of work is that everything is different and each person is, and it's, it's a dance of trying to figure out the best way to help anyone. Yeah. I mean, I love watching people heal and grow and transform, especially when they're like in the depths of despair or never thought they would have the life that they have now. Um, and so, I mean, especially my clients are on freaking fire right now. I'm like so happy and proud of them. And so I love that feeling. And I love like connecting with someone's soul and being like, okay, because I, I really do feel like we're all here for something for greatness. And it's like, whatever your greatness is, let's do it. Um, and yeah, my, my whole thing is thriving in your health, wealth, relationships, career, like every level, because they're all inter- interconnected. So um, I love it. God, that's so exciting. Um, Okay, so you mentioned something that I find interesting in terms of Rachel Raquel is that, you know, this was a pattern of behavior. This probably is not the first time. And and by the way, if you look at the history of her relationships with DJ James Kennedy, you can make the argument there's a definite pattern here. Somebody else who their pattern has been highlighted over this last month is the pop singer legend Ariana Grande, who has recently uh, filed for a divorce from Dalton Gomez, her husband, and now has paired up with her Wicked co-star. They're filming a movie together. Um, Ethan Slater, I believe, is his name. And they are now together. And he was in a relationship with a newly born child who was like a year old, I believe. And we then go back, because the internet is great this way, is that Ariana Grande had this pattern of behavior with a bunch of men, Pete Davidson, Mac Miller, rest in peace. There was a lot of people where she, they were all in previous relationships and she got them potentially that way as well. What are your thoughts overall when you see something like this? Cause I was kind of, uh, I really was shocked. Oh yeah. No, it's really calm. First of all, here's like, and she got him this new one. She got him at a, like kind of at the right time. I hate saying this, but it is true to traditionally when men cheat the most, is when a child is born and when a child dies. That's when men cheat the most. Oh, really? Oh, wow. And so, um, and when, I mean, when a child is born, there's so much going on. It's not about you, you know, and there's just all, it's a mess, right? So it's like, fine, but you don't like up and leave your wife and 
that's a whole other thing. Yeah, like what must be going through a man's mind when he's, I mean, like, that's just, you would think that's the obvious. He must, you know, it's like you're like poisoned in your mind because that's not clear thinking. Yeah. And and so like with relationship hoppers in general, as I call them, or serial monogamous, but especially with, and they always, they're always in a relationship and then they start to, you know, groom another one and then cheat. And then it's just what they do. And it, and it is a compulsion and it is an addiction. There's usually like a comorbidity, meaning two things are happening at once between like borderline personalities or narcissistic personalities and what's called sex and love addiction. And so both like typically like a a narcissist or borderline also has sex and love addiction. And so this pattern, and that's a sex and love addiction is a real thing. There is really a 12 step program for it called SLAW, sex and love addiction. It's like a real thing. It's called SLAW? Well, it's called SLAW for short. I was like, we need a better, let's let a slaw, just like, let's get some of that slaw in here. Okay. SLAW, SLAW. Yeah. So, so I'm, I feel like she's, exhibiting a lot of those behaviors and what the, and like you do get the rush, like you get the dopamine and there's an adrenaline and all the things. Cause you're, you're doing something you're not supposed to. And then that like, and then there's a lot of love bombing going on from the person that's like initiating typically. And also because narcissists and borderline, they, they, they like love love bombing. It's like, like the biggest high, you know, and we all like, the first part of a relationship is always nice and everything, but they take it to another level. And so what people like this tend to do is become like a fantasy of whatever that guy, whatever in this case wants. And then layered with a lot of love bombing. And I'm like, this is so intense. And da da this is meant to be, and oh my God. And then you, the other person really believes it. And it's like a drug. And for in, in the most like literal sense, because your brain is like, um, I think it's a, your pineal gland is like a drugstore. It is the most like potent like drugstore. And then, you know, that's secreting all these hormones. So you really are high and you really are addicted to this and you really are caught up in it. It's just like when you see an alcoholic or someone that's on drugs and they go off and do some crazy shit and you're like, oh my God, you're like, under the influence. So both these people are very like under the influence of this like chemical pattern. Yeah. I mean, and then uh, obviously then I would be wondering when they're going to wake up with that hangover because eventually that has to leave you. And I do wonder though, for somebody like Ariana Grande is, you know, because she is a celebrity, so many people have dissected all of her previous relationships where a lot of this stuff, this isn't the first time it's been said in regards to Ariana Grande. And you guys, you know, I'm not talking about her talent at all. I'm talking about her in relationships that she would have to be or have some some small awareness of her patterns in relationships, right? Because you use the word grooming but like you would never want to think that Ariana Grande is out there going, I'm grooming another one. Like how self-aware do you think people like this are relationship to relationship? I I don't. I think right now in, in a lot of ways it's working for her, right? If you keep doing a behavior and that's another thing I always um, when I'm initially working with someone because they're coming in hot and they're like, oh, my God. Da, da, da. And I'm like, you have this in your life because there's something about it that's working for you. There's something about it that's comfortable. And so 
I, you know, unless there's some kind of like rock bottom thing, she doesn't seem embarrassed. About, I mean, I don't think there's any like consequences, a negative consequences for her right now. Um, well, all of us are like talking smack about it. I mean, like we, I mean, I feel like the internet, if you ignore the internet, I guess, I mean, if, but if you're, if you're locked into the internet, I mean, that seemed to be all the conversation of like, oh my God, she did it again. And also what an asshole this guy was because his wife, came out and was like, no, we're not releasing a co-statement. And no, I am going to talk to the press because this, this is totally like they went out to dinner together. Like the four of them, when they were in different couplings, like she was liking their Instagram posts of her, them with the baby. Like oh, that's yeah. wild. Like, oh, wouldn't you stop yourself? That's but so, you, so, but why don't we stop her? Like, this is, this is beyond the pale of like awful. Like, why would I ever like, whether he loves his wife or not is not my business. I'm not going to be the one. Like, I, I just like, how deeply do these people feel that they're in love, that they think it's okay to push for this sort of behavior? Cause he's an obvious piece of shit as well. <laughs> Sorry. I know that's not professional. That's not a professional term. No, but I'm saying I do think that she and, maybe him to like really believe that this is it and we're just in love and no one understands. Like they're really under the influence, just like, just, I mean, think about it like an alcoholic with alcohol. Like it's the same thing. And it's just like, Oh, I can control my drinking. You don't under, it's like, no, you can't. And this isn't like, she's using relationships just like an alcoholic or drug addict uses their substance. Like it's just substance abuse, but with, people. And so like when you're in it, you just don't care about anything else. Right. And if it's all, you know, if it's, if if it's all, you know, then this is like, uh, businesses as usual, like you're not, you know, is there, is there a possibility that she's like, well, this is how relationships go because it's all the relationships I've had Mm -hmm. is some sort of like somebody hopping from one relation to the next. So this is kind of normal. I don't know if she, I mean, I think that she knows it's not normal, but I don't, (laughs) I don't think that there's a lot of I mean, awareness or like caring, you know what I mean? There's no, there's no, I don't see a big willingness to change. I don't see any type of like caring. I think that she's just plowing through literally and doing her thing, you know? So. I mean, is the, the ego has got to be involved a lot there as well. You know, the, the ego of like, well, I, I don't care. I want what I want. The heart wants what it wants. I think for somebody like Ethan though, the, the gentleman in this, wouldn't you then like do a cursory search on the internet and go, Hey, real quick question. It seems like, I don't, I don't want to go out of bounds here. It seems like you've done this in every other relationship. Potentially. I'm a little nervous on my end. Like how but is I've he changed, but I've changed. I'm a different person now. Like literally that's what they say. I, okay. I dated one of these and he literally broke up with his fiance over the phone and it's on the internet. Right. And so I swear he broke up with his fiance on the internet. No, he broke up with his fiance by calling her. Okay. Okay. Like, just like, yeah, I'm, I'm not into this. I thought you meant he filmed it. I thought you meant he filmed him doing it. I was like, damn. Uh, No, no, no. He, he, he got engaged really quickly and then like dumped her over the phone and then so we're dating and it's like, I love you. I love you. Oh my God, I'm going to marry you and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, so you're about your fiance. Like, and he, oh, I've changed since then. And I'm like, no, you haven't. Like you haven't though. And so it's just, and like, oh no, but they really, and I do think that that guy believed maybe he did. And then, you know, when I broke up with him, I'm like, you, 
are not doing any work on yourself. Like your mental health hygiene is like gross. It's like, it needs, you need to be cleaned out and like actually do. And so, yeah, I, they, unless they get like really heartbroken or something like makes them look within, they're not going, they're just going to keep doing it. They're just like, really. And then, so when we broke up, he was immediately like trying to get back with his ex and everything. And like, yeah, so that's, that's just how these people roll. And it's like, because it's like, they're trying to numb out with a relationship with another person. That's what, that's just what they do. Like not, you know, like, you know, when you break up and you might like drink a little bit more, or, like, you know, do something like where your heart or like, eat cake, or I don't know, like some like behavior like that they just go to another person and that is how they numb out. And usually the pattern gets worse and worse and worse until something really bad happens. How are any of us in relationships? Like, I mean, I don't even know, like, it just seems like just the amount of things that you're potentially putting in your way all the time. Like, I just like, how are any of us in, I mean, it just seems like, it just seems wild to think about when you're dealing with a whole nother person that is not you and to try to keep up, I don't know, it's just wild. So I find the Ariana Grande thing fascinating, but then also in terms of, I was reading a post of yours about toxic relationships. And then I was also thinking about the Kardashians because this season they had season, I believe it was season three of the Hulu show, which I loved you guys. A lot of you guys just hate them so much, but I think it's fascinating because it's so much behavior on screen and then adding billions of dollars on top of it. I just find it so intriguing in so many ways, but you could argue at the end of this season, you guys, if you haven't watched it, Tristan's mother passes away, uh, which is tragic. And Chloe and Chris and Kim immediately hop on Kim's private jet and go take care of everything. Chloe moves Tristan and his disabled brother in with them, which is a beautiful thing. But now they're kind of together all the time. It, it seems like I've always had this question about Kardashian relationships. All the men seem potentially toxic in their lives. Can you speak to that at all? Does that does that ring true for you when I say any of that? Absolutely. Yeah. The post I did um, that you're, I think you're talking about is that like these unresolved or unhealed things from childhood or especially things with our parents that we don't like or we have a problem with consciously or unconsciously, we attract in our relationships. And so um, and that's like Chloe with the cheating. And um, but the theme I've always seen with the Kardashians, and I like the Kardashians, I like the show, is that there's this like codependency and they talk about it a lot, but like they talked about it a lot this season about like they like they all have these like codependent tendencies, especially with their men. So they're attracting like narcissists or people that need to be taken care of. I mean, Chloe like point blank said it. She's like, I'm a nurturer. I like taking care of blah, blah, blah. And then, but also is frustrated by a lot of Tristan's behaviors. And like, there's, you know, like it, when they were dating, it, it felt like there was like a lot of breadcrumbing, like, like she barely got any, like she got this like one gift from him. And he, she was like, oh my God, you got me a gift. And it was like this, it was just, you know, there's just a lot of that. I'm like thinking of the examples at once, but, um, and then like with Kanye and the fallout and everything at that, it's like, you know, um, you really see like Kim recovering from like all that narcissistic abuse, but you become, I, I think, I don't think you can become it or you do become it, but like, I think you attract like a narcissist like that when you have codependent tendencies. And she said, like, I was taking care, I was always cleaning up messes and like just completely like draining herself to take care of him, 
you know, and then that and was, not and not knowing what, what, what's going to, you know, always looking over your shoulder potentially because you don't know when the next outburst is going to happen. Exactly. And also Kim, I mean, you know, she has, I would imagine certain narcissistic tendencies as well. I mean, not on the scale of a, a Kanye, because I believe Kanye, we go into more of a mental, a real mental health thing where there's a, a difference in terms of day to day. But, you know, we've seen Kim, you know, you know, we see that fight with Kim and Courtney this season, just over you stole my oh my Italian god. wedding and you stole Andrea Bocelli. And you're just like, Oh my god, this is crazy. You guys are like these are like million dollar fights, but they're still happening. So I, I find Kim especially fascinating because she is trying to do the right things for her and her kids, but also try to still hit that button of wanting to be the number one star in the world. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, in a lot of respects that she, she is. And then, um, but let me talk about the, the Dolce yeah. Gabbana thing. Okay. That was <laughs> ridiculous. First of all, like she was just like, you stole my, mo- whatever it is. <laughs> you don't own Dolce and Gabbana by the way. And if you wanted to, I mean, she could have like put together some type of deal, like, like Kim did for her wedding, yeah. which would have been, I'm, I'm sh- actually, I'm sure the wedding is already a right, uh, a tax write-off because it's like being filmed, but like she could have had a bigger tax write-off from like, but you didn't think to do that, Courtney, because you're not business-minded. And then you resent your sister who is very business-minded. And yeah, very- that's all she is. That's yeah, all she is. Like, this is like, you know, if I was sitting with them and like doing like a, whatever, cause I do this a lot with clients. So like, let's say Courtney's going off. Well, Kim is like, like in, I think it's like the last episode she sits on her phone with her notes and she's just like delineating oh my God. all the things that that she doesn't like about Kim. And yeah, and you Kim, guys, you guys, they're sitting on this me. massive, they're sitting on this massive bed. They have to film this scene and it's Chloe, Courtney, and Kim. And Courtney's like, I thought a lot about our last argument and I wrote down some notes about, you know, like what I think could help you. And it's literally just all of the things she doesn't like about Kim. And Kim has to sit there and listen to it. And you can tell Kim is inside seething, but she's like, thank you. I will, I will take that into consideration. And it's, she also- it's not yeah, but she also says, yeah, that's me. And it's not you. And like, there's this, there's, I mean, I don't know, if it, maybe it's unconscious, like resentment that Courtney has towards Kim, because like Kim is more accomplished. And like, you know, and then Courtney's like, it's just really important to be yourself. And I'm like, no shit, Courtney, it is. And I'm like, just fucking admit it. Like, you wouldn't have the life that you have without your sisters. And you just want to be taken care of. Like, she's always wanted to, like, you know, she's been the least ambitious one. I think that she just wanted a housewife, like, housewife Which life. there's nothing wrong with that. There's, there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. But just admit it. And just admit that you're not like Kim. And that's okay, you know? I think it's a hard pill to swallow when yeah. you feel like somebody is taking, you know, like the all of the oxygen in the room. I always think of Anthony Frankel right now is that she feels like there's some empty part of her that needs to fill it with everything. And sometimes yeah. Kim, I know, can like just monopolize, but she's always, she's built like that. She's, this has been her dream since day one. And every episode of the Kardashians, like I always say, is like some make a wish foundation for Kim because it's a new height she's going to. And then you go to Courtney and of course she has the Travis relationship, which is amazing, but she's like, I guess I'm going to do some gummies. Here's my matcha gummies. And like, it's not ever as successful as Kim. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's just like this resentment that she's projecting on to and and then under the guise, under like the cloak of like being like this martyr, like you guys care or she just is all about the money and I'm not. And I'm like, 
bitch, like where you're sitting in your like mansion, like it makes. No- <laughs> and by the way, because at one point your sister was essentially a porn star, and like this, that's how this all like really started. Like you have this life, you know, and so it's kind of like it makes no sense. And it's like, and then she did talk about Courtney talked about this too. Is that like, Oh my God, my gummies. And I'm just so proud of myself. It's like, yeah, it feels good to accomplish something. And sorry, you haven't done more of it or on love that Kim has, but like, you, you can't like get upset at some, like try harder, just do your thing. I, I just always think it's fascinating though. You know, we always like the, these are supposed to be aspirational figures in terms of their wealth and their looks. But mm-hmm. in the end of the day, they're still fighting over the same stupid bullshit that all of us fight over it. Like all of these stupid family relationships that we have that aren't all good. Like you mm-hmm. can see, like when that happens, I'm like, Oh, like families, you know, it is just funny. It, it, it just, mm-hmm. because they have more doesn't mean they have everything. It doesn't mean that they have all their relationships figured out because they obviously don't. And I always just find that it just seems like it's more of everything. And yeah, they might be able to wear nice leathers and get the nice procedures, but at the end of the day, they are just as messed up, if not more than a lot of us are. Now is my favorite part of the show where I get to talk about our sponsor. And this week we are once again, sponsored by our friends over at Quince. Now Quince is here to help you with your wardrobe. We are well into summer. We are looking towards the fall, and I would say all of our wardrobes need an upgrade, right? So instead of a flimsy, fast fashion haul, spend your money wisely on high-quality essentials that will last beyond this season. Now, Quince is my new spot for quiet luxury without paying luxury prices. And I got to tell you it was it's awesome. Like they have this website, you can I'm pulling it up right now and it's just literally quince.com. You can do that within 5 seconds. Do it right now while you're listening and you come to a website where you can look at amazing clothing for men and women and baby and kids. I mean it's all laid out there for you. Quince offers a range of must-have items like 100% European linen under $50, luxurious mulberry silk skirts, and of course, of course, Italian leather bags and 14 karat gold jewelry from $30. So all their prices are 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And because Quince creates timeless classic styles that won't go out of fashion, you'll have them in your closet forever. So I have two pieces for them so far. I have this blue, um, like light blazer that will be with me forever. And it looks awesome. I'm kind of a bigger guy and it fits me perfectly. And also then I have this, like, I love color blue. Like this is like a dark blue kind of like, it's not a coat, but it almost feels like it's a little bit of a heavier texture and it sits really nice on me. (laughs) I'm like, guys, you got to see it. It sits really nicely on me. But what I loved about these pieces is that they are pieces that I truly will be able to wear until I completely tatter them. But it's only, it's going to take like a decade for that to even start to happen. Um, and I thought, you know, these kind of things, I thought, okay, well that in a normal store, maybe like 150 for the, the, the nice shirt jacket. And then for the sports jacket, I thought 200, you're talking a hundred dollars for everything. I mean, it's awesome. And they fit great. They look amazing. I know you're wondering though, Ryan, how do they do it? 
Quince partners directly with top factories to cut the cost of the middleman and pass that savings right on to you. Now, what's even better is that Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium eco-friendly fabrics and finishes. This company cares about that stuff. We should care about that stuff. So you can feel good about getting high quality items that last longer. So here's the deal. Upgrade your closet this summer, this fall with Quince. Right now, go to Quince.com, Q-U-I-N-C-E.com slash so bad to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E.com slash so bad for free shipping and 365-day returns. And I'll put this in the show notes as well. And then I guess just DM me if you want to see me in my nice-looking blazer. And maybe that's – I'll spice up the deal. I'll send you a picture of me in my Quince blazer. Anyways, uh, they're great. Back for the remaining portion of our show. Like, it is – like, I can't imagine every day Kim waking up still to this day – not knowing what Kanye will do next. You know, I know he's now married to Bianca Sensori and they're wearing some very interesting fashions overseas, but she even talks about in this season of the Kardashians that this is always something that fascinates me that she has kept this from all of her kids. She's done an amazing job. She says they don't know They I always champion their dad, which yeah, on its face is amazing, but I always, I don't have kids, so I can't speak to this, but I, do sometimes they like, yeah, but they're going to see this show one day and obviously see that you said all of this stuff like we all know. So they're essentially these kids living in some kind of Truman show reality that we all know. And we're watching when they find out because Kim has manipulated their teachers. Manipulation is the wrong word. She's told their teachers don't say anything. She's told their friends, but they've created a society through social media because I do think they are one of the originators of getting social media as big as it is, that it's going to get back to these kids one day. In terms of kids, I don't know if you do any work with children or have ever studied, like what do these kids have to look forward to when they, I mean, kids can probably pick up on the energy of their dad already, but what, I mean, is Kim doing a potential disservice in not being I don't know, like it's such a sensitive topic, but like, how do you start to share with family that one of your family members is potentially has mental health facility, like needs mental health help sometimes more than some of us in terms of medicine and things like that? Well, with kids, it is tricky. And you really, the protocol is to not say anything. And then if you do, and you talk too much shit about your your former spouse or whatever it's called parental alienation and it's a real thing because it's a form of like abuse to the child to do that um and then when a child hears bad things about their parent like coming from another parent especially but any like the child like internalizes that because it's like well i'm these are my protectors or people that are supposed to care about me and i'm you know associated they're my parents so that means something bad is like i'm bad And so it creates this false narrative around I'm bad and then shame. And then, you know, that goes into adulthood and that's a whole other thing. So you never want to talk shit about it. And I I mean, I'd probably do the same thing to the extent that I could with my kids to protect them from that. But like, and I tell this to, you know, parents that I have when like one parent is so narcissistic, I'm like, let them play themselves out. I know it's so hard. I know you want to do all this stuff but kids are so smart 
And if they have one that is stable, like all you have to do is keep being stable and secure and play the long game, play the long game. (laughs) And then they'll, they'll figure it out. And then figure it out really fast, you know, because kids are so smart. And especially as they get older and they start to individuate and they're like, no, fuck that. Like, I, I don't like that parent anymore. And, you know, like kids in general have to do that anyway, but it gets more intense. I'm like, just, yeah, play the long game. It will all work out in your favor. But that's for kids also like that all makes complete sense. But then you throw a reality show and a public persona into the mix. Mm-hmm. And where does that take kids? Because you know, North has grown up waving to paparazzi to like, and you know, now she's like, it's enough pop. Like this is a, what a nine year old girl that she is now more familiar with a bunch of flashes of cameras than any of us would be at any age. And I just wonder how that plays a role as well. And we don't know the answer to that because only few people will ever have to deal with that. I just wonder what part of that is going to play into all of this as well, because everything has been so documented. We have film on everything. We have every one of Kanye's outbursts. We have every, I mean, even to take it back to Kim's video that got released, uh, uh, you know, initially with Ray J it's all there. And by the way, I'm one of those people that I think, I don't care how Kim got to where she got like personally. Yeah. I, mean, I think it's like truly amazing and should be studied in terms of like how she turned that into this is just mind-boggling and i think it'll be studied for generations to come but uh it's something that i think about a lot of just how how do those kids how are those kids gonna deal like we even see a little bit with jada pinkett and will smith's kids is that they seem very by the way did you see that article jada pinkett smith that uh jaden said yeah my mom we all do mushrooms together or she was the one that introduced me to mushrooms okay like i you know i'm all for your kids like being but they I don't think have good boundaries, you know, with, well, I, I heard the mushroom thing and I was like, that makes complete sense. Now I understand yeah, no, why I mean, they're, now they're, I can understand. I, you know, I'm not going to read a, a parenting book anytime soon from them. And then like, just, and then what's the girl's name? Jaden. Uh, Jada Pinkett Smith is the, and then Willow is the daughter. Willow. Willow yeah. Like, Willow. The times like I've seen her on red table talk, it's kind of like, there's just like this sense of entitlement. Like, of course you want your children to have a voice, but there's like, there's some like lack of like social skills and understanding social cues because of whatever kind of parenting was going on. And it's like, I'm not a big fan of, and no, I don't have kids either, but I just, you know, this is kind of like basic one-on-one. Your kids aren't your friends when you're raising them. They're not your friends. They're not your buddies. And so, yeah, the the boundaries, there's like a lot of enmeshment there that feels uh, very um, not healthy and uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, I know we weren't even planning on talking about this, but now it just popped into my head. But I was thinking about the I was reading this book the other day about the Oscars and they were talking about the slap with Will Smith and Chris Rock. And I remember that night, um, Jaden Smith wrote on Twitter, like, that's how we do it. Like, you know, like, oh, you stepped us, you're going to get smacked. But that moment was so huge and so big. And I was just like, the I will always think about what, like the most pressure of that man's life of like winning the Oscar as also one of the only African men, like there's like a, a group of like 10 men that have done it previously, you know, like, I mean, what a big moment for him. He's worked his whole career to get to this moment. And then Chris Rock makes a GI Jane ball joke about Jada Pickett Smith. And he broke in that moment or whatever was going on in his head to the point where on national television, that's beamed into so many different countries goes up and smacks Chris Rock and then sits down and everybody talks to him and waits an hour and a half later 
to get the best actor Oscar and go up and make a speech. And like, I just think of like what a huge moment and, and what that does to a mind and what could have possibly snapped in him in that moment. And I don't know. I know, I know that you might not even have anything to say. I just, that's a moment that just fascinates me psychologically. Um, yeah. I mean, the impulse control level was low, right? <laughs> yeah. A little bit. Yeah. I, and when that initially happened, there was a lot of, well, with some of the people that I follow that are that that thought that that was like some narcissistic abuse, like Jada um, is like narcissistic, and then she made will do like I don't know. I mean, maybe she is or whatever. And so sometimes with you know, if you're in a narcissist or in a relationship with the narcissist, like you get kind of forced to do situations like that. Or but I mean, I just yeah, it was really it really kind of took away from everything. And it was, I mean, it just felt like a way to kind of sabotage yourself more than anything. Um, yeah, just, what a, what a, the biggest moment of your career potentially. Mm -hmm. And then you then put it with now a moment that will be talked about in every article that you ever do for the rest of your life. That mm -hmm. footnote will be there. And I just find it, what a, what an interesting moment on a, on a world stage. Um, back to reality shows and behavior. I've been thinking a lot about grief lately. Um, and I've been experiencing grief myself and, you know, do you, have you ever watched a reality show or anything comes to your mind where you're like, this is a good representation of grief. This just popped into my head, but I was wondering, do we always see like the cheating? We always see all of this stuff, but have we seen examples of grief? Would one of those be what Ariana was going through at the end of this season of Vanderpump? And then, um, well, one thing that came to mind when we're talking about the relationship hoppers and like the, all of that, it's an inability to process grief. Actually. It's like, I mean, there's a lot to that, but one of the things is like the, that there's kind of like an intolerance to processing any type of grief. It's too painful to look at. So they numb with a new relationship. Um, but have I seen examples of processing grief well on reality TV? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, have, does anything come to your mind like that? I was just trying to think of like, uh, you know, human behavior and grief is something that we all go through. Mm -hmm. And have we seen any ways I was trying to even think just really quickly about Kardashians because we've seen so much trauma go through that show. Yeah. I mean, all of these shows are based on some form of trauma. I'm just wondering if we've ever seen somebody deal with actual grief. I mean, we've seen people die on these shows. I was thinking back to Real Housewives of Beverly Hills with Taylor Armstrong's husband who yeah. unalived himself. And yeah. then she came back for that season and we watched her go through that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think that she did the best that she could with the grief. And then also... It also made her whole situation like a lot more real, you know, because yeah. then we got to see what was really going on and grief can really do that. It can strip away facades, especially facades that aren't working for you or, I mean, just leading to like more malignant behavior patterns. It could really strip that away. Um, so yeah, the Taylor, uh, that's a good example. And then not, per well, okay. With death, I thought it was really nice how they came together to help um, Tristan with, you know, just like cleaning yeah, up the, the family when his mom passed. Yeah. Like, it, Cause you do want that. You want to be with community and you want to just help each other like, in a situation like that. And they really came together. They put everything, whatever they thought about Tristan like, to the side and it's like, okay, we're family. And so we're going to do this. So I thought that was a good example. And then with like Kim grieving her relationship and I, you know, she talks about it 
um, I thought I thought it was a good example of like grieving a narcissistic, like leaving a narcissist or recovering from narcissistic abuse because you literally you're grieving like the person you lost, like because you really have to abandon yourself in so many ways to be with a narcissist. Like she became this beige like entity, and like there's no like Kim's not we're gonna be like wallpaper in the background, but like inside <laughs> everything like only wear beige and like only like you know. What oh, I didn't even think about her. that. Yeah, she she really like thought that her favorite color was beige. And like in this season, she has like lime green nails on that are all long. <laughs> and, like, she's just really like, you know, coming into her own. Um, but she keeps saying it. Like I, I'm like grieving this relationship. I, I, this man that I fell in love with, this is not Kanye. And it is like, um, one of the, I'm actually building a course on this, um, like recovering from like a narcissistic relationship and narcissistic abuse and like the grieving aspect of it, because you fell in love, like the narcissist, the love bomber, or like this happens with relationship hoppers too. The, the phases are love bombing, which is also known as idealization, which is where love bombing can happen. So it's like, they idolize, like you are the most amazing and it feels really good. It's like, but do they really feel, do they really feel that in the moment of love bombing? They're they they like, you really that. are the most they amazing. That. They're like, oh, at the time I met that now go away. And then, so the, but and they're like, oh my God. And da, da, da. I'm like, you're just the most amazing person I've ever met. And I'm going to love and I'm going to whatever. That's the idealization phase. Then it goes into devaluing. So it's like nitpicking about things that you think that, and, and they don't even have to be real. A lot of the times with narcissists, they don't even nitpick and start to criticize things that are real, which goes into the gaslighting. So that's the devaluation, devaluation stage. And then the discarding, like just an abrupt breakup, go away. Like, like just like a really like abrupt and sad, like breakup. And then there's another fit. The last phase is hoovering and not all narcissists. Some, some of them just discard and they get in a new relationship, but a lot of them do what's called hoovering, which is like stalking, like internet stalking or stalking in person or just like hoovering over it, like making sure, trying to like, I mean, and it could get Wait, deep. wait, wait, Lauren, I feel like I have a lot of, and I don't, I hate to like female friends that Hoover because I've seen them like, oh, I found this on his, this, or they're putting together these internet pieces, but I don't consider them doing some of the other things, but they're definitely Hoovering because I hear, I'm in conversation with girls all the time that say they do this. No, it, but it's more intense. It's like trying to like get someone's like ID, like their like pin number or like breaking into their email, like things that are kind of like not legal. It's like, and it's like this obsession about the other person that they, you know, just dumped. And so the, usually the phase starts again, they get in contact with the person during the hoovering phase. And then it's like the idealization again, that person's like getting addicted to that, then the devaluation, then the discarding again. And so that cycle keeps going. And so like Kim was like really grieving all of that because that high of like the person that just was like really swept you off your feet and everything. And like, it's like, no, I want that to be real. I want that to be who you really are. And when in fact you have to have an acceptance, which is part of the grieving process, an acceptance that that is not, you know, the man you fell in love with is not who he really is. That's what he did to lure you in. But that's why I think it's interesting to choose Pete Davidson after that, because, you know, I mean, similar I mean, there's little similarities in terms of ego, but it's not Kanye. And in fact, it must have been a shock. And she talked about this on season two of like, 
yeah, we would just like watch TV and like be in bed and watch TV. Like, like it was like a foreign concept or that you would watch TV in bed. And then she's like, I fell asleep and he put pimple cream on me, which I don't even know if that's true or not, but she seemed legitimately shocked that people could do things like watch TV together, which I was like, yeah, because of course, if you're with Kanye, you're pro if you're watching TV, you're probably watching TV together on a private jet on the way to Japan, like the biggest form of watching TV that you ever could. And that's not the reality of life. Life. So how do you come back as anybody after you've experienced such a, a damaging relationship that had beautiful moments, but damaging, how do you get your brain to come to back to some stasis level where you could potentially have a normal relationship when you don't even know what a normal relationship is anymore? Yeah. I mean, and that's something too, because with narcissists, everything is overdone and, um, and it's, ostensibly like, Oh, look, I'm doing this for you. But it's like, they're doing it for them for, so they could fall in love with themselves. And so that they look amazing and all of those things. And so, yeah. And it's like, part of it is exciting, but part of it is also draining. There's always, and there's just something about like narcissistic energy where it's like, they're just, they're just draining. And so, yeah, I'm sure it was really nice to just like lay in bed and, and do that. And it was probably just refreshing. It was fun for a night or two. It was like, let's work now. Let's let's get back to work. Um, do you have a do you have a little bit more time? Are you in a rush? Okay. I, this made me. This made me. You. We were talking about this, and then all of a sudden, this popped into my head. And I don't know if you were familiar with this at all, so you might not be. Did you read any of those Jonah Hill text messages to his ex? I was thinking about uh, toxic relationships. Yes. And he here's somebody, you guys, if you're, I think we've talked about this on the show before, but Jonah Hill's ex finally released all this trove of text messages, which I don't know how I, you know, I feel about releasing text, but whatever. But it was very therapized because he's done a lot of therapy or quote unquote work on himself. And, and did you, you did read these? Yeah, I did. And I, I mean, again, speaking of people that um, display narcissistic characteristics. Yes, there's a lot of that. It felt like gaslighting. It felt like he was making himself the victim. It, yeah, it was, it was hard to read, but. And there yeah. were like demands. He was like, if you want to do this, if you want to do this, if you want to do this, mm-hmm. I do not want to be a piece of that. And I will respect your wishes. But it was like presented in such a way that he was in the right and he had uh-huh. therapy language to back him up and she is in the wrong and she is potentially, um, I don't want to use the word slut, but she is potentially not good because she wants to post a swimsuit photo of herself. Elevating my style used to mean breaking the bank, but with Quince, I get high-end, versatile pieces at prices I can actually afford. Now I can upgrade my style by snagging killer luxury essentials that sync with my vibe and my wallet. You guys know I've got a blue linen blazer. Now I have a black leather jacket and I have my eye on this Italian suede trucker jacket. I think that's going to be my next purchase. So Quince creates timeless essentials that never go out of style. You're going to have them in your closet forever. Quince has all the must-haves, like Mongolian cashmere crew neck sweaters from $50, iconic 100% leather jackets, and versatile flow-knit activewear. With all Quince items, everything is priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes that savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. How do you not love that? So indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash so bad for free shipping and 365-day returns on your order. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash so bad to get free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Quince.com slash so bad. If you're a wine lover like me, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I found the most personalized wine club that has amazing wines and exclusive perks. It's called First Leaf. As a First Leaf member, I get to discover new wines I'm guaranteed to enjoy. That's because First Leaf gets to know your unique preferences. To start, all you have to do is answer a few quick questions on their website about what flavors that I like, how often I drink wine, and if I prefer red, white, or rosé, or a combination. Now, based on my answers, First Leaf curated an amazing selection of wines just for me. And when I rate those wines, my wine selection gets even more tailored. You guys, I have to tell you, I got a free shipment with them, but I kept my membership going because I liked it so much. I swear to God, I got this great Sangiovese. I got a Malbec. Uh, I did get a Rosé as well because I have a combination and I am loving it. Best of all, I get to choose when I want my box delivered and how often I get new assortments of wine. Being part of the First Leaf Wine Club also has its perks. As a member, I get access to their incredibly helpful wine concierge. Plus, I get member-exclusive pricing on every order, so you can continue to order the ones that you love. So, join the club today with me and discover new wines you'll love with First Leaf. Go to tryfirstleaf.com slash so good to get your first box. That's T-R-Y-F-I-R-S-T-L-E-A-F dot com slash so good. Tryfirstleaf.com slash so good. The early 2000s was a breeding ground for bad reality competition series. From shows like Kid Nation, CBS weird Lord of the Fly style social experiment that took 40 kids to live by themselves in a ghost town, to The Swan, a horrifying concept where women spent months undergoing a physical transformation and then were made to compete in a beauty pageant. On each episode of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop, comedians join host Misha Brown to chronicle one of the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? Recently, The Big Flop looked at The Swan, a competition show between women who were hoping to transform their physical appearance. The problem? The women were isolated for weeks, berated, operated on, and then were ranked by a panel of judges. Unsurprisingly, it all led to trauma for the contestants and terrible reviews. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus. Exactly. And this is something that people with narcissistic tendencies do. Um, and especially like the spiritual narcissist or like the woke, I've been to therapy. So now I'm, they use it as a way to like gaslight and manipulate and make you feel like you're in the wrong. And it's like, no, okay. You can have your standards or whatever, but you don't get to like devalue someone and do all those things. And then say my opinion's right because I went to therapy or whatever. That's not that's not how life works, but they um, love to do that. And but if and you're his therapist, you read this and you're like, whoa, Jonah, what? What? Like, I mean, like, I wonder if he was shocked reading this stuff. He's like, no, 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 no. Or if he if he oh, encourages sure. this behavior. Oh, I'm sure he didn't tell the therapist that. And, you know, when he did that documentary with. Um, I think yeah, it was Stutz. On it's called Stutz, I, could, I think, on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't even watch it because I could feel like the like how disingenuous he was and because everyone's like oh because my therapist or jonah jonah okay yeah. and i was just like this guy i'm like 
oh, and I just knew something like this was going to come out. And so when it did, because my friends were like, oh, just keep watching it. I'm like, I'm allergic to it because I don't, he is being so disingenuine right now and trying to make himself look a certain way. I had this whole thing like laid out about, I think that he has narcissistic tendencies and everyone was like, oh, well, and then the, the text came out. I was like, I was right. Because it's like, it, I, I don't see any real, I mean, I think he was trying, but I also think to do a documentary, it's like, look, I'm doing therapy. Look how I'm just so, no, you're not. Yeah. Cause then you read those texts and you're like, we all immediately like go, Oh dude, like this is bad news. Like this is how you're like treating. And, and in a way you're like, he thinks, I don't know what he thinks, but he thinks he's doing the right thing of protecting himself. And I will, I mean, I always empathize um, with anybody that goes through obviously what he's gone through in terms of body image, because he has been, you know, I I've gone through like yo-yo waiting all my, my life in terms of weight. And I will always, no matter if I'm, uh, in a skinnier phase or not, I will always see myself at my heaviest that I've ever, I, I mean, I just, it's never going to, I've not been able to break my mind of that. And so I do empathize with Jonah of like, uh, potentially that really does screw you up. I don't know. Like I, I, maybe that's just me making excuses for him. Cause it doesn't excuse this, but I do wonder how this man walks through the world seeing how he's seen himself in like a certain way, especially projected on a huge screen. And I don't know, like, I don't even know what I'm trying to say, but I just think there's like a lot of shit that he's probably had to work on through the years. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, do you mean like seeing this like out in the world and then like, yeah. I mean, just like the, when, when you completely change your body type multiple times in your life, you, that means you're obviously not wanting to be at your heaviest or however, you know, you don't want, that does not make you happy. And we see that because he gets down to like an un, like, he, I just saw a picture of him yesterday and he's at this, just really the skinniest I've ever seen him where I'm just like, oh my God, that it's look, it's getting weirdly dangerous, but he obviously does. I don't know. Like it, there's just so much, um, so much in there psychologically for me that I'm, he must go through on a daily basis because he doesn't want to be that person. He wants to be the skinny person, but then he also goes to so much therapy. Like, is there a chance that sometimes we do too much therapy where we actually lose the ability to appreciate what therapy is and what we need to do with our lives? Well, yeah. Um, and then, you know, with the first thing that you said, he could be using, it sounds like he's using food and maybe some type of eating disorder to cope. It's very normal to go into like, maybe like anorexic tendencies when, you know, you're trying to cope or over-focus on food or your body to numb out or cope. Um, that could be just what he's doing right now. And then the other thing is like, yes, I always, I'm a big, you know, this is why I stopped doing another reason I stopped doing traditional therapy and I coach um, is because like you can't just intellectualize things. You could in therapy, it could just get very cognitive. It can just be like, yes, we have to start with the awareness. But if you just stay there, and I think that a lot of narcissists do that. They they stay in that space of like, oh, I I know everything now. I know this. I know that about myself. And so, no, no, you have to integrate it. Like you have to bring your head and heart together. You have to like change literally like on a cellular level and like create new neural pathways. The neural pathways are still the same. If you're like, basically, let's say I'm a dick. Oh yes. Now I'm aware I'm a dick. Okay, great. Awareness is the first step, but then we have to do different behaviors. We have to change like on a fundamental level. We have to, you know, be, in, in, in a lot of ways become like 
a new person where we have different reactions to things. We see the world, you know, a big part of healing is a change in perspective. It's a complete change in perspective. I love when my clients are like, oh my God, that thing that would trigger me, I just don't even, it's not there. It does not exist anymore. Or like the insomnia I used to have or the binge eating. It's like, there's, it just went away. And it's like, no, you actually did the work to integrate these tools, this awareness, and then the tools that you 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 utilize, excuse me, once you have the awareness, that's integration. And so yeah, you can totally over-therapize yourself. I think that some therapists are fine monopolizing on that. Like, okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And I told I mean, yeah, so that's why I'm just kind of like I have like very strong opinions about that. But yeah, I think that you can intellectualize things to death and get nowhere. You seem like you're a glass half full kind of person, even with all the, the behavior that you know. And I talk about myself or joke about myself all the time. Like I'm a glass half empty kind of person, but I will say the half empty glass, it's filled with some pretty good stuff, but I always lately, especially, I mean, I just very have a, uh, a negative view. And like, I, I, you know, I was talking about grief and I just, I lost my dog last week and my I'm mom's sorry. on her final, um, you know, she, uh, she's in her final battle with cancer and it's not, I mean, this we're dealing with, you know, a matter of a month or something I would imagine. And I, I, I stayed there for the last three weeks and it's so, um, I mean, that kind of stuff will really like it, it, it uh, paralyzed me in some ways. Like I, you know, and I'm a big guy on this tiny bed in a guest room. And I would, even yesterday I was like, I woke up happy and I was doing some happy. I, I interviewed somebody and that made me happy. And then I, I got into this weird, I didn't have a specific thought, got into this weird mind funk and I couldn't get out of it. I kept waiting to snap out of it. And I know we're supposed to let ourselves feel how we feel, but it just seems like so much like, I mean, besides therapy, like what are things that we can do? Because a lot of people experience grief. A lot of people um, deal with just horrendous things. What are steps besides, you know, obviously therapy and speaking with someone? I feel like this podcast sometimes is just great to be able to talk to somebody else because in my normal environment, I, I push people away a lot of the times and mm -hmm. I want to be still and by myself. Um, what are things that, that I could be doing or we could be doing? And I know this is not pop culture related, but it could be. Well, okay. What you just said, that's great awareness that you tend to isolate when you are going through um, something hard. So knowing that you isolate and then reaching out, you could give me a call and I'll call you <laughs> and, and help. Like, and man, I don't even know if it's like cheering you up, but I would, I would totally chat like seriously. Um, so you have to do something that's like office, uh, often called contrary action. So when I like you, so to, for you, it would be to not isolate, maybe to go for a walk or connect with a friend and um, and then that would be like healing. And that is the thing about grief, though, Ryan, is that it's not linear, you know, like all the stages of grief. You could go from like denial to acceptance to bargaining to, you know, I think all the things they don't they don't go. They're not like linear, you know. Um, so these things like come and go and there was and like we all all emotions are energy emotions so none of them last but they can get stuck in your body if they're not acknowledged kind of like what happened with chloe and the cancer on her cheek like i do think that 
I do think that, I mean, I know like, and it's been scientifically proven now, like that we, it, we have like your brain doesn't stop in your head. Like you have a brain stem that goes all the way down into your nervous system. So emotions that you suppress, like end up in your body somewhere and they can turn to cancer or illness. And so, so we have to, you know, the word express means to press out. We have to release these, even if they're uncomfortable feelings, get them out of your body. And so sometimes you just have to ask yourself, like, what's going to work today? Do I just need to get on the phone and freaking cry? Or do I need to like comfort myself? Do I need to, and this is sometimes like inner child work comes in. It's like, okay, well, what part of me or my younger self feels wounded? How can I take care of myself? Do I need to give myself a hug? Like literally going like this actually like releases oxytocin. And sometimes we just need to do that. Like, and, and then breathing deeply. Um, so there's so many tools. You just, you have to kind of like know yourself and ask yourself one, be aware of like, what's going on. Okay. I'm feeling this way. What's my default behavior. Oh, it's to isolate. Let me try something different, even though I don't want to do that. Yeah. That's uh, it. Yeah, you don't want to do the things. That's the other thing. You have no desire to do the thing that, you know, is probably the, the thing that would, I, it's like just this weird, no desire, you know, you're like, <laughs> Nope, I would just rather sit and lay, you know, like I, I, you know, it's like, you're not even having specific thoughts. It's like a general malaise and an overall thing that you sometimes, you know, like you could do this, but you choose not to do that to pull yourself out of it. It's weird. You obviously yeah. know. Yeah. I mean, the brain is resistant to change the, especially the more primitive parts of our brain are resistant to change because it's like associated with like safety and not being safe. But like, this part, the prefrontal cortex, the more developed part of your brain knows that, hey, this is a new behavior that's good. So they're, they're, they're kind of like fighting each other sometimes. So you, um, so that's what's happening when we go into old default behaviors, because maybe when you were little, it did work to hide under the covers. And that was like the only, when you're, when you're little, like you don't have a lot of tools. So to hide under the covers or numb out with a video game or whatever, that was the best thing for you to do when you were that age. But as an adult, you have so, we have this expansive amount of resources, but you don't use them because that old primitive part of your brain is like, just hide. Remember when that worked? Just keep doing yeah. that. You know what I mean? And and then it's scary because then I was like, okay, like I, tr you know, I tried to drink. And it was like, okay, that that doesn't actually do anything. It's like not doing anything. I tried to eat, which usually works. That doesn't do anything. And I even I remember watching, try to watch Real Housewives of Orange County last week, and I was like, this ain't hitting for me. Like usually that's then I'm like, mother effer, this isn't working. You, I can't get into this show because my mind is not letting me. And that was the scary part where you're like, any of these things, they're not that's like these crazy. little buttons are not working to like numb. That is wonderful. Like when <laughs> say that, I'm like so happy. I'm like, that means you're growing. And that means you are your willingness to actually feel what's going on is expanding. You know, and I'm like, I'm so happy you can't get it up for <laughs> people, I say. people are like, I can't get into it either because it sucks this season. Actually, Orange <laughs> County is good this season, but it is something those things that you used to rely on if they're not working for this, and that's scary because you're like, oh, you know, you're pushing against it, and your body is always tense because you're in anticipation of the net, the final shoe dropping, you know, mm -hmm. you're pre grieving something and you're, you know, even though you can't imagine it, what it's actually going to be, your body is going through these things, or that's what I feel like. So I'm in this constant state of tense, you know, of like, just wait, like you're about to get hit or something, you know? And that's where the acceptance piece comes in. And acceptance is so deep of like really accepting what is because any form of addiction or numbing out is 
like an inability or an, an unwillingness to tolerate the present moment. That's you could sum all addiction into that, the inability or just not being able to like tolerate the present moment. So the opposite of that is acceptance. So if we could be like, okay, this is happening or you, you rehearse it. Okay. When this happens, when this relationship ends or when this person dies, it's like, okay, I'm going to be, everyone's going to be okay. This is, you know, if you have a higher power, this is, you know, my higher power doing their plan and I don't need to interfere with it. I don't need to have all of this resistance to something that is just part of the plan. There are so many ways like that you can incorporate acceptance into your daily life all the time. It's like, I could be happy about the sun shining right now, or I could be bummed out because I want it to be, but why don't I focus on the fact that it's sunny out and think of all the things I could be grateful for that. And even with like breakups or something tragic, I'm like, think about something that you're grateful for the situation. Like, yeah. Like dig deep because people are usually like, bitch, what? And I'm like, no, <laughs> like, what can you be grateful for right now in this moment? And and for like the future moment or whatever, like, where's the gratitude? Where is, you know, all of that? But yeah. gratitude go a long way. Uh, that's, and that's something you really have to train yourself. I do this journal every morning, like three things you're grateful for. It's like a quick, you know, thing that you do every day I do. And, and sometimes in my mind, I'm like coffee. I don't know. Like sometimes yeah. I'm sitting there and it's like, well, there are tons of things to be great. I, I can think of tons of things when I'm talking to you, but when you're alone by yourself, sometimes your mind is like, well, I don't fucking know. Like I, I do, I do, put a, do I put breathing again? Like it is that interesting thing of really trying to realize uh, I don't know. I'm realizing as I'm speaking to you. So, so I think I owe you money now, Lauren. No, um, no. But no, it's just, it's just very interesting. And, uh, you know, the numbing of these situations or trying to, but that's why I was just trying to think about like terms of reality shows and pop culture things, you know, as we can use as a language, like anything else of people grieving in the public, you know, whether it's grieving a relationship, breaking out of a toxic relationship, going into one and, and the people that are doing the work, cause it looks like somebody like Kim, whether you love her or hate her is trying to do some sort of work on herself in regards to that relationship. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, she also I mean, being a workaholic. So, I mean, I think that, I think that she's using her addiction in that way to, cause it really does feel like She's just like in work mode and kind of like keep going forward mode. And she mentioned that before, like something happened, like in the, or like when her dad died and it was like, okay, let's I'll do the funeral speech. And it's like, just keep moving forward type of thing. Yeah. And so I don't know how much she's like feeling, you know, everything that she needs to feel. Um, it sounds, it feels like for, to me that Kim and Chloe, especially have a hard time, like feeling their feelings or just emoting or like they can, especially Chloe can do that for other people and be very nurturing in there for some, but like there, she has like this avoidant type of thing or hyper independent thing where it's kind of like, like I want closeness, but then I can't handle too much like closeness. It's too. What I'm so, I'm really curious to see where Chloe goes, especially. And if the Tristan thing, cause if you're not putting yourself around other people, she Tristan's the only man there half the time, of course that, that you know, like, how would that not end up being romantic at some point down the line? If he's the only man she's really around besides like employees. Exactly. Ah, well, Lauren, you need to be a, a guy. You already are a recurring guest, but my gosh, I love these conversations so much. What, what are you doing right now? Like, how do we support you? How do we work with you? If we want to do that? Like, what is the process of the work you do? Uh, how do we find out more about you? I know we had said the website and the Instagram earlier, but what are you working on? 
So the things I'm working on, I launched my my course about imposter syndrome, and I'm adding more modules to that. I, I called it imposter no more. In case you don't know what imposter syndrome is, it's like this overwhelming feeling of like that you're, the, especially the more success you have, that you're like a fraud, and there's just all this anxiety about your ability and your <laughs> skills and abilities. Um, so um, I, I put a course together about that. And um, if you do happen to take the course or buy the course, like connect with me if you have any questions, because I love um, hearing from you guys and like, add, and that's why I'm adding more modules. And then I'm like, I was saying before, I'm launching a course on recovering from narcissistic abuse and being in a narcissistic relationship, whether it's a parent or, you know, um, a, a ex lover, whatever. So um, I'm doing that and I'm putting a wait list together for that. And then um, I'm going to launch it next month. And I'm really excited about it. But if you, if you're interested, like in my best way really to get a hold of me is through Instagram. So DM me um, if you want access to those courses, DM me about the narcissistic abuse one for sure. Um, and then the other one is in my link, like the link in my bio. Yeah. Yeah. So do you, do you ever work with narcissistic people that are in a narcissistic relationship and trying to recover from that, but are still in the narcissistic relationship that oh. don't want to leave it, but are like, I just want to get, get learn how to I deal thought, with it. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's not easy leaving people like that. It's really not. It's a process and sometimes a long one. So, yeah. but if they're trying to work on themselves while they're still in it, mm -hmm. I mean, they can still be with them and not, I mean, is that the final step of the the work is like you have to get away with it or can people learn to live in love in a narcissistic relationship and be I've healthy seen, in any. I've seen both. I've seen both happen where they, they want to stay and they need a lot of coping skills. And I've seen people where it's like a bridge and that's often been the case with me. It's like, I'm here and I need this coaching to bridge me and get me to the other side. Cause it's just, I mean, they break you down so much and you question yourself so much. You really do need a lot of support. Wow. This is amazing. You're amazing. I cannot wait for our next conversation already. Lauren Clayton, all her information is in the show notes. Go check her out. Go follow her on Instagram. Uh, and, and I thank you so much for your time. It's always amazing. Welcome. Thanks, Brian. So good to see you. This is fun. Betches.